0: Uh, It is just a fantastic time to uh, remember you, remember that you came, remember that you're coming again, Um, Lord, uh, and what an opportunity as our our whole culture uh, engages in the Christmas season, Lord, and provides opportunity to talk about what is Christmas and uh, and why it's so wonderful and so meaningful, Lord. This morning, as we open up Scripture and examine its truth, Lord, that you would be speaking to each one of us and and leading us and guiding us. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Um, we were living in Canada. Uh, Joe and I were, um, I think, pretty sure we were married at the time, and um, we had a trip where where we needed to get into the U.S. But I had sent my passport away. I don't know, some consulates are waiting on some visa or something. I don't know. I didn't have my passport, but I really needed my passport because we had this trip planned into the US. And the day just kept getting closer and closer and closer and no passport and no passport and no passport. And I don't know if you've tried to enter the US like legally within the last ten, fifteen years, but like you need the passport, right? Like I mean that like they're not messing around. Like like you gotta have the, the documentation to be able to, to to get into the country. And um, we were, yeah, like, we were getting pretty nervous, and what do we do, and, and how do we handle this? And, you know, at the time, I'm working at Multiply, and so, you know, I've heard the stories of, you know, people getting into countries without passports, and miracles happening and stuff with border guards, and, you know. But it's, like... I, like, it's just me. I think we had a family event, right? Like, I'm not smuggling Bibles, like I'm not staging revivals, like I just needed to get into the country for some family stuff, and I had no passport. And so um, we were pretty nervous. We prayed a whole lot about it, um, and then we drove up, and Joe had her passport, so we put that on top. And then underneath, we just put my driver's license, and uh, thought maybe we can talk our way in. But that we knew that wouldn't work. And um, so drove up, handed him kind of like our little pile of documents. He took them. It's on the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he, and he never opened a one. Just handed the whole pile back to us and said, "Have a nice day." Thank you, Jesus. Um, Remarkable event. Now, kind of the funny thing, I'm pretty sure is that same thing we got across, and then we realized that I had forgotten my laptop back in Canada, and I really needed it. So we had to ask a friend to like go to the house, get the laptop, come across the border, deliver it to me, and then go back across the border because I wasn't going to risk that a second time. And um, so it was just j- just the idea that that God got me into a country without a passport, that I personally. Got to experience that um, I mean I know it it may sound like a small thing, but that really impacted My faith my my understanding of Just my personal experience of god as a mighty god uh, Who who intervenes and 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 that kind of thing you know It's one thing to say like I believe that god is mighty or that god is powerful or, or god can work miracles But but it's a whole other thing to 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 live like that to experience that and and it's kind of interesting I, I think sometimes we give ourselves a bit more credit um, than, than perhaps we deserve uh, there was another time uh, so this was uh, back when I did track as a participant and one of our teammates uh, something like in, in her back and, and her hips would get out of her out of her alignment and it just like it would throw off like how she would walk or and jog and that kind of thing and so you know one leg was basically longer than the other one And uh, a couple of us had gone for a jog, and she just kind of, she, the whole time, she just had this really overwhelming sense that, like, God could heal me from this. God could heal me from this. So, you know, we, we went back, and we're like, yeah, so we, we prayed about it, you know, we prayed over her, and, and asked God to heal her, and that kind of thing. And going into it, I was like, yeah, God can heal, he's big, whatnot. And, uh, and we prayed for her, and one girl's like, I felt your leg move. Um, And, and she checked it. Like, it, like it, was, it was fixed. Like it was better. It was healed. And I don't know if it was permanent or temporary or whatnot. All I know is that, you know, five minutes ago, she could tell that, you know, it was out of alignment. And now it was all good. Afterwards, I found myself sitting there being like, mm, I don't believe it. Like literally a few minutes beforehand, I was like, oh, yeah, God has the power to do this. And then afterwards, I'm struggling with my faith to be like, I'm not sure that's real. Right, it's kind of interesting sometimes we're, we perhaps give ourselves a bit more credit, but just to to have those experiences, it, it's totally different than than what it's than uh, than just the talk. So we're in an Advent series. We're looking at the various names for Christ. Uh, ...that we find in Isaiah um, 9, 6. And I actually want to read that whole section to you. It's a fantastic section about Jesus. But we are just kind of focusing in on on the names that we find in verse 6. But let me read this to you. Um, Isaiah was writing in a very tumultuous time. The whole book is kind of this combination of warnings to to Israel and to Judah. Like, you better straighten up and the Assyrians are going to come down... ...and wipe everybody out and you're sinning and, and you need to clean up your act... But then it's coupled with all these remarkable prophecies about this, this king, this leader, who's going to come in the future, and it's going to be awesome, and, it, and it's going to be wonderful. And in that, Isaiah is referencing both the first coming and he's referencing the, the second coming. So um, starting in chapter 9, I'll, I'll start in verse 2 of Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with a joy at harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Today, looking at that word, mighty God, last week we looked at Wonderful Counselor, next week we'll look at Everlasting Father and then Prince of Peace, mighty God. It's kind of interesting. So in the Hebrew, there's actually two words uh, that are going on in there. Um, The word for mighty is uh, gibor, um, and then the word for God is el. Sometimes i will be Elohim. And they kind of mean the same thing. El or Elohim is um, used to describe God, but it's really used to emphasize his might or his strength. Um, but then um, gibor means kind of the same thing, whether it's referencing a person or, or God, but it, you know, it means giant, it means mighty man, it, it's, it's warrior. And so Isaiah does this thing where, where he adds the, the two things, or the, the two words. Just kind of a, as an aside, there's actually a lot of very beautiful descriptions of God especially in the Old Testament, and we, we, I think we kind of miss it sometimes in, in the English language. Um, there are three primary words that are used for God in the Old Testament. Um, the first one is El or Elohim, and that means strong one. So, for instance, Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What that is is that in the beginning, Elohim, or in the beginning, the strong one created the heavens and the earth, right? Like, there's beautiful poetry in that. Um, Another word that is often used, uh, and this is how you'll read it in in your English Bibles. Um, I don't know why I clarified English Bibles as if someone has a Spanish Bible or something. Um, So in in your Bible, it'll be Lord, capital L, but then O-R-D or lowercase, um, and that typically means Adonai, and it means master would be one way to translate it. So, uh, for instance, if you go to Isaiah 6-8, Um, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Right? So that's Lord, uh, lowercase o-r-d. So, you know, I heard the voice of Adonai. I heard the voice of the master saying, whom shall I send? The third one that happens, and so in your English, it will be Lord, but l-o-r-d are all capitalized. Sometimes you may have noticed that in the Old Testament. Sometimes Lord is all capitalized. So, what that, what's going, so that one is Yahweh, um, and one way that, that you could describe that is the self-existent one. So Genesis 2-7, as, as an example, it's actually going to combine them. You'll see that he uses Lord, all capitalized, but then he uses God, which, you know, we just talked about is El or Elohim. So the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Uh, creature, right? We kind of skim over Lord God, but in Hebrew Then Yahweh Elohim formed the man or Then the self-existent God the self-existent strong one formed the man from the the dust of the ground So there's all kinds of depth that, that can be added and then what will happen is that the writers would actually do all these different various combinations to add even more depth. And and it does get translated into English, but I think we kind of miss it a little bit. So there's, you know, you've got El Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh, and then all different kinds of... So just a few examples. Yahweh Elohim, okay? So that's going to be self-existent and then strong one. Um, Yahweh Adonai, the master, who is self-existent. Yahweh um, Makedeshim, the Lord thy sanctifier. Yahweh um, Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. Yahweh Rafa, the Lord our healer. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. Yahweh Saboth, the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of angel armies. Um, and, and then there's combinations with El, like El El Yon, the most high God, the God the highest. Um, El Roy, the strong one who sees. El Shaddai, right, Amy Grant. Um, the God of the mountains, God Almighty, giver of strength. El Olam everlasting God, mighty God, and then like what we're looking at today, El Gabor, combination of mighty God and the powerful one. So all these just amazing poetic descriptions of God and his character, right? And, and that the writers are so intentional to combine like this is the Lord who sanctifies. This is the Lord who sees. This is the Lord who provides. This is the Lord who is our banner, this is the Lord, the God of the mountains. This is, this is the God who is the captain of the angel armies, right? Like, there's incredible beauty in this. And it's easy to find. Like, just Google this. Like, you'll find stuff, okay? But just incredible beauty in, in the scriptures and the descriptions of God. So, if Jesus is mighty, this is about Jesus, if God is mighty, if God is powerful then that should really be influencing or impacting or even changing how we live in a pretty dramatic way. To say that we follow the God Almighty, the strong one. Um, one, of my, one of the guys I used to work with used to say, We don't follow miracles, but as we follow Jesus, miracles will follow us to really um, experience, understand mighty God, powerful God, the God who can do amazing things, it's either going to require some intentionality on our part, some very uh, focused intentionality, or the other thing that brings it about, honestly, is hard times and suffering. Sorry to let you know about that, but just being honest. When things are good, we, we have to be more intentional about leaning in towards these kinds of characteristics of God, when things are hard, it makes us desperate. And it has a potential to drive us closer to God, but honestly, it also has a potential to drive us away from God. Like, I mean, both, both have happened. People have hit hard times, and they've gone um, kind, of, kind of either way. Um, money, has, money is an easy example. So let me use money to kind of give an illustration of this, right? So when things are good... Uh, when you have a good job, when you're getting a good wage, you know, you're able to cover your expenses, you're able to cover your bills, that kind of thing. For you to really lean in, trust God with your finances, um, you know, you, you're, you have to be intentional about it. Um, need is not forcing you into that space. So you have to intentionally say, okay, like, how do we do this? How do I adjust my mindset? You know, I mean, Lord, this isn't mine. This is yours. I am a steward. I I am an accountant of what belongs to you. How would you like your funds distributed? And then you kind of have to learn or teach yourself how to do that, right? But when you struggle with finances, it's much more likely that on a regular routine basis, you're going to be saying, Lord, I need your help. You know, Lord, I need a miracle. Lord, what should we do here, right? And this is true in all different kinds of areas of life. It can be finances, it can be work, it can be marriage or singleness or relationships, it can be job satisfaction, um, it can be you know self-esteem or versus depression, all different kinds of stuff. It's true for us as individuals, it's true for us as family units, and it's true for us even collectively as a church. In that passport story, Right, like I had no intention of attempting to cross the border without a passport. Even now, I have no idea, No, I do not desire to replicate that, okay? But need forced me into that space, a difficult time forced me into that, and it was amazing. It impacted my faith, right? But in other areas of my life, right, like, so for instance, Um, just in growing kind of around a kingdom mentality, you know, around finances. For me, that came through reading good books, uh, sitting under good teaching. You know, it happened during the good times. It was intentional. And even now, like, I have to be intentional about reminding myself and embracing that kind of mentality. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's no shame in learning these things during the good times. But you just have to recognize that during the good times, you're going to have to be more intentional about it. Don't fall for the trap that says that persecution or hardship or pain or suffering are the only ways to grow in trusting God or trusting God as mighty or powerful God. Um, over the years, um, you know, you probably, I've heard some, sometimes, you know, the, the, the personal stories get elevated. Most of the time, the stories get um, shared around church growth where there's this idea that you know, persecution results in, in church growth or church health. Um, if only the formula for church growth were so simple and easy as insert persecution, church grow. Um, boy, that would help a lot of things, but it's not. right? There are lots of places where it's just gone both ways. right? Japan, fierce persecution killed the church. North Africa. Fierce persecution killed the church. Even within the Anabaptist story, there are places where the persecution was so heavy, pretty well eradicated the the movement. Um, Early American history, we have some amazing revivals. Lots of freedom, right? So it's not not a a cut and dried thing. Um, Paul tells us to pray for our government leaders so that we will lead peaceable lives, right? He doesn't tell us to pray for persecution. We are warned that it will happen, but we're never told to ask for it or, or want it. The other thing you got to remember in all this is remember that really it's only the successful people that write the books, right? Um, a Christian community is completely eradicated. No one writes a book about that. Someone gives up their faith because of stress, pressure, persecution. They don't go on to write a book about that. Right? When when someone gives up their, their witness for a job or that kind of thing, no one writes a book, okay? The other thing too is if you Google it, you'll get lots of opinions, but but actually very little research. You you do have to dig hard. The data actually shows no strong correlation between persecuted church and church growth. If anything, there is a higher correlation with Christianity primarily moving west than there is with persecution. Fascinating book called "Back to Jerusalem about the church movement that 's happening in China, although I guess the book is probably twenty twenty five years old um, so th- th- different leaders in china I, their their approach to to missions was remains fascinating to me. Their stance is that you know Christianity started in Jerusalem and it primarily moved west right like Europe and then in North America, and then it 's come around and you know it 's in China and Asia. And their thinking is, Scripture says that God will come back uh, when, uh, you know, all people, groups have had a chance to hear the gospel. Okay? The gospel has come to us. Let's just finish it and take it back to Jerusalem, i.e., title of the book, Back to the Jerusalem, so that everyone can hear the gospel and we can be done with this nonsense and Jesus will return. Like, that's the objective. <laughs> we want Jesus to come back sooner rather than later. This earth thing is a bit miserable and a bit lame Let's do our part and just take the gospel back. And then we'll use the old spice trade routes that existed for years. So that's their missional agenda. And for some of them, they say, you know, people tithe 10% of finances. We're trying to tithe 10% of our good leaders to get them going. And we love the North American missionaries because they distract the governmental leaders while we do our thing because they stand out more. So anyways, back to Jerusalem. Fascinating book. How do we learn to trust God as a mighty God when times are good? First thing in prayer is tell God that you want to grow in this. Lord, I would like to grow in, in, in trusting you daily, in seeing miracles, in bolder evangelism, in, in sharing a, a word of encouragement or a prophetic word of encouragement or living by faith, right? That's what God wants. He's going to be excited about this, right? Right? Like, imagine one of your kids coming up to you and saying, hey, you know that thing that's really important to you? I want to learn more about it. Like, how excited would you be? Right? There's this really frustrating narrative, and I haven't heard it in a while, so good on you guys, because I haven't heard it from you, but it, and it, I, I don't know. You, you've probably heard it. I think it's probably more kind of when, when people are kind of younger um, in their f- faith, so to speak, but it's kind of things like, yeah, you know, I'm excited to follow Jesus. I just hope he doesn't send me to Africa or something. And I don't know why they always reference Africa, but Africa seems like it comes up a lot. It's like, yeah, I just don't I just don't want to end up going to Africa. One, you should be so lucky to get sent to Africa. But secondly, it's this ludicrous idea that if I somehow for some reason surrender full control of my life to Jesus, then he's gonna make me do something I hate. Like he's gonna lead me into something miserable if I give him full control of my life. Dumb, 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 dumb. That was for free. That wasn't even in my notes. I've lived long enough to see people who have pressed hard after Jesus for a long period of time. And you know what they think of their life? They love it. They flip and love it. People who press hard after Jesus are not miserable stuck in a part of the country they hate they love their life so many times I have heard some variation of you know I left my old life and it was kind of hard and I cried a little bit but now I love my life and I have more joy and more peace and more purpose than ever before I would never go back to the way things were I mean it was great for a season but I would never go back And if you really delve into it, these people, like, they they have forgotten more miracle stories than your average lukewarm Christian will ever experience. I mean, they just got so many, like, you try to bring up something from a few years ago, and, like, they're struggling to remember it, you know? One guy had the best quote. In, In his context, it was missions, but anyways, he said, I thought I gave up my dreams to go on missions, but on missions I discover my true dreams. I think you could tweak that and you could say, you know, I thought I gave up my dreams to be obedient to Christ and give my life fully to him. But in following Christ and giving my life fully to him, I discovered my true dreams. A man loves his life. So the first thing, if you want to grow in something, tell God about it. I want to grow in this area. Second thing, learn about it. Like read a book. Listen to a podcast, right? I mean, what, 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 what part do you, you want to lean into, learn more about? Become a student of that, all right? God uh, miraculously healing people, uh, counseling marriages into a place of health, um, handling finances God's way. Like, like, read a book, listen to a podcast. Like, there's so much material out there. You will have to work a bit to find it. But there are materials, and there's, there's sermons and, and articles and lectures, Find it, learn it. I mean, so the world is weird, and it's getting weirder. How do we raise our kids for a world that is just going to get weirder? So a group of us dads meet on Wednesday morning, and we drink coffee, and we read books on how to raise our sons. Because the world is both suffocating for a lack of healthy God-fearing masculinity and in some regards also working hard to suppress healthy God-fearing masculinity. So we've said we need to become a student of this to be able to raise our sons to navigate this. Third, go to the people who do this well. Learn from them, become their students. I mean, okay, Uh, let's say, you know, we want to start, uh, doing a prayer time after church for people, you know, that kind of thing. Great. Who's already doing that? Well, let's learn from them. We want to plan another church. Great. Who's doing that? Well, let's learn from them. Uh, I want to practice, uh, you know, hearing the voice of God or, or, or scripture memorization, whatever. Great. Who is doing that? Well, learn from them. Conferences, missions trips. Online cohorts built around specific topics. Informal mentoring. Like There are people out there that are really good at this. Find them and then say, teach me. And they will probably be very happy to do so. Jesus is a mighty God. Meaning that he is capable of great things. He is capable of great miracles. As we said, we don't follow the miracles. But as we follow Jesus, there may be times where the miracles follow us. Sometimes, pain and hardship will force us into that area of growth. That, that's a thing. But when the pain and the hardship is not happening, nothing to be ashamed of, but you are going to have to be a lot more intentional about leaning in and studying and becoming a student of that. Tell God what area that you want to grow in. Learn about it. Find the people who do it well. They're out there. And then share your story with others. God has a purpose for your life. Let him lead you into that and trust that God is not going to lead you into a place you hate. You will love your life as you do this. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is our desire as a church to trust you as mighty God. It is our desire as a church to experience you as a mighty God. Lord, we don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just float from day to day. We don't want to just maintain or sustain. Lord, we want to know you. We want to experience you in your power. But not just for our own amusement, Lord, for the purpose of seeing your kingdom expand in our families and in our homes and in our community, Lord, We pray for this community, that more people would come to know you and that more people would experience you as the mighty God. And Lord, we pray for us as a congregation that we would experience you as a mighty God. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.